Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. All right, so today we're kicking off this brand new series, as Jonathan told just a few minutes ago, called Family Drama. And I would definitely say that divorce, that divorce ranks pretty high on the list of the kind of drama that can totally wreck a family. Holy hush fell over the crowd. It's a tough subject, isn't it? For some of you, it wasn't your fault. Your spouse just walked out. Maybe they told you they didn't love you anymore. Was it anything you did? They just found somebody better. For some of you, it was your fault. You made a huge mistake. In fact, it was the kind of mistake that the other person just couldn't quite get over. They could never find it within themselves to be able to forgive. And you're overwhelmed with guilt and shame. And it's tough. And probably right now, to be quite honest with you, you're thinking, man, of all the days for me to go to church. For some of you, quite honestly, it was survival. You were in an abusive situation. And literally, if you had stayed, your greatest fear was that you'd die. But in spite of that, in spite of the fact that it was literally survival, you still struggle. Wondering if you did the right thing. Maybe I should have waited a little bit longer. Maybe I gave up. Because after all, divorce is a sin. Others of you, it wasn't you directly, but it was maybe your parents. And as crazy as it sounds, somehow you felt like it was your fault. If I had been better, I just caused too many problems. Somehow you've taken the shame on yourself, and somehow for you it was your fault. So anytime you hear that word divorce, it just conjures up all these negative images. Divorce is an extremely emotional topic. So we don't like to talk about it in church. But this morning, I want us to look at several passages on divorce, and I want us to try to get a better understanding of it. And I want you to understand what the goal is. I'm not here this morning to take the Bible and to beat you over the head with it. We are going to look at some very difficult passages of Scripture. We will do that. We're going to be challenged, no doubt. But my prayer is that we're going to walk out today with hope and healing. And, and maybe you don't even know how to put those together. You're thinking, healing, how in, is that possible? It is possible, and it's possible for you that God wants to speak into 
your life for you to understand what real forgiveness is and that you can be free. So we're going to look at two Old Testament passages, and then we're going to go to the New Testament. Let's start with the Old Testament. And we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy. Aren't you excited? All the people that love Deuteronomy probably read it this morning as a devotional. Like, not nobody. And if you did, I know you stayed away from this passage. It's a little heavy. I'm going to go ahead and prepare you ladies up front. It's okay to get ticked off in the beginning. I'm just saying. Y'all ready? Here we go. Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Just let that settle a little bit. That's not good enough, having discovered something wrong with her, and you want to stand up right now and say, something wrong? I'll show you something wrong. He writes a document of divorce and hands it to her and sends her away from his house. And when she leaves his house, she is free to marry another man. But if the second husband also turns against her, writes a a document of divorce, hands it to her and sends her away, or if he dies, the first husband may not marry her again for she has been defiled. And this would be detestable to the Lord. Are y'all having fun yet? You must not bring guilt upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession. Have mercy. What in the world does all that mean? I don't know. (laughs) Here's the point of this passage. I'm going to use a word that I'm going to repeat again in a few minutes, and I'm using this word intentionally. I got it right out of the Bible. Here's the reason that I'm using this passage. I just want you to see that in some cases, divorce was permitted. It was permitted. You ready to go to another passage? You're thinking, dude, it's got to get better, right? I mean, whoo! I mean, right out of the gate, we've offended every woman in the house. You're single, never been married, and you're ticked off right now. You're just thinking, Jesus, forget you. So let's go to another passage. Malachi 2. For those of you that have been raised in church, probably the only thing you know about the book of Malachi is chapter 3, and it talks about tithing, right? It says, if you don't tithe, you're a thief. Guess what? There's more good news in Malachi chapter 2. Here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altars with your tears. I'm not saying this with any attitude at all. Weeping and groaning and whining, that's kind of what he's saying in the Hebrew, because he pays you no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, wee, wee, wee. Why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? He says, I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows that you and your wife made when you were young. Now, ladies, this will be the passage that you'll like much better than you will the Deuteronomy 24 passage. But you've been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Hmm. Didn't the Lord, notice what it says, make you one. Underline that in my notes. That's a big deal. It's a bigger deal in understanding this whole idea of divorce and remarriage and all this stuff. It's a bigger deal than you might think. And I'm going to be honest with you, in church, I don't think we talk about it. I don't think I grew up hearing about it at all. All I knew was, was divorce is a sin. That's all I knew. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You're his. 
So what does he want? Godly children from your, your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Mm. For I hate divorce. First time I ever heard that, believe it or not, was the second little church I was pastoring when I was in seminary. And I went to, it was like Monday night, Tuesday night visitation. Hello, any of y'all ever heard of that? Been in church long enough to know that that's what you did on Monday night, Tuesday night, whatever night it was. It was the holy night, and so we went. And so if you signed a card at our church on Sunday morning, a visitor's card, we didn't tell you, but we was going to be at your house on Monday night or Tuesday night. We didn't tell you we were coming either. We just showed up. So I remember we went to this particular house one night, and this, this woman had been separated from her husband. She was being abused. She had three beautiful children. I was kind of paying attention to the kids and another guy that was with me and I really wasn't paying any attention. I should have been, but he was talking and it was blah, 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 blah. You know, it was a bunch of religious stuff and I was just kind of getting nauseated and suddenly out of nowhere, honestly, so help me, I'm telling you the truth. He does this, he goes, God hates divorce, he hates divorce, he hates divorce. I said, well, have mercy. Let's go to the house because I know she ain't never coming back to our church. I mean, good night. What are you thinking, you idiot? I wanted to take him out in the yard and talk to him about Jesus. <laughs> he knew enough to quote this verse. For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. So why does God hate divorce? Why does he hate it? I've got to be honest with you. You're not going to understand that unless you understand the context of this passage. And my guess is, Nobody's ever told you. One of the primary reasons for divorce for men in this particular passage was so that they could remarry. Ladies, you're going to get a chance to be offended again. It's just going to be a great day for you. Was so that they could remarry another woman to gain, to gain standing in the community. Let that sit for just a minute. In other words, it was all about status and personal gain. So if a man is climbing the corporate ladder of success and he's looking at this woman and says, you know what, I'm never really going to make it very far with you, but if I marry that woman over there whose father is, whatever the case might be, but he looks at her as only an opportunity to gain, personal gain and status within the community, then that's what they were, that's what they were doing here. So God looks at that and he says, I hate divorce. And I hate divorce because I hate what you're doing to relationships. God is a relational God. I certainly wasn't taught that as a kid. I, I didn't grow up thinking God was a relational God. I really kind of grew up with the idea that God was way off up in heaven somewhere. I know that Jesus came and Jesus did his thing, but then he went back to heaven. I mean, he didn't like us enough to stay. That was my childhood mentality. I know, it got you, didn't it? Sorry. And the thing of it is, is he says, you know what? I created you for relationship. And here's what I know, is that if you'll abandon each other, you'll abandon me too. If you can't stay committed to somebody that literally you're doing life with, that you're eating with and sleeping with and, and going through the struggles of life with, that you sleep with every night, and if you can't stay committed to that person, then you're not going to stay committed to me either. In fact, Ecclesiastes 5.5 5 says it's better to not make a vow than to make a vow and not keep, not keep it. And so God says, I hate divorce because I hate what it does to 
people in relationships. That was his point. So here's the thing. I almost hate to bring this up because maybe you hadn't even thought about this at this point. But as I've looked at this over the years, and I've studied this a lot over the years, and as I've looked at it over the years, the question that's always come to my mind, well, how can God say that he hates divorce and yet still permit it? There's that word again, permit, right? I mean, how do you, how do you put those two things together? God says, I hate divorce. He hated what these men were doing to these incredible women. And yet, he says, Deuteronomy 24, in certain circumstances, it's permitted. Well, if you don't turn to the New Testament, and then you're going to be faced with some real conflict. So we're going to turn to the New Testament, and we want to look at what Jesus said. Don't you feel better? You may not. Just hang on. In fact, what I want you to know is that what Jesus said was so countercultural, it was so radical. It was so shocking that I want you to see what his disciples said after they heard him teach on this subject. Here's what they said, Matthew 19, verse 10. Jesus, it'd just be better if we didn't marry. Wow. So you're a little nervous, a little anxious? You don't have to be. We're going to be challenged. I really think you're going to be encouraged. And my prayer is you're going to walk away with this seeing something that you've never seen before in the sexual relationship between a man and a woman and then what marriage was meant for. And I hope that you're going to be encouraged and you'll think, oh man, I didn't know. So this was what God wanted all along. Yeah, it is. So let's go back to where it all started. This was a conversation that took place in Matthew 19. Let's go back to Matthew 5. In Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. So verse 27, he started like this. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say to you that anyone who even looks at a woman with lust already has committed adultery with her in his heart. <laughs> you just thought that Deuteronomy was bad. How many men right now, let's be honest, you're going, Ooh, can we move past this one? Like in a hurry? So if your eye, even your good eye, I just think that's funny, I don't know why. It makes me smile every single time. <laughs> I don't know if he's got a crazy eye. I don't know what it is. I don't, <clears throat> that's what I think about. But even your good eye causes you to lust, gouge it out, and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Wow. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. You've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorcement. But I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You've also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows that you made to the Lord. Wow. So in Matthew 5, Jesus does this teaching on relationships. You can boil it down to that. 
the whole lust, the whole nine yards, it's about relationships, isn't it? And there's a group of religious people that are on the outskirts and they're listening to what Jesus says. They watch him over a period of time as he, um, as, as crowds literally by the thousands come to hear him teach. So they say, you know what? We've got to do everything we can to take his words, the words that he's used, and to turn those words against him. They wanted to trap him. So Matthew 19, verse 3 says this. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Hmm. Okay, Jesus. So you're doing this little talk about divorce. So, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any old reason? Here's what you've got to know if you're going to understand this passage. There were basically two schools, two thoughts on divorce back in Jesus' day. There was the Hillel school and the Shammai school. The Hillel school said that you can divorce for any reason whatsoever. Y'all with me? What does any reason whatsoever mean? It means any reason whatsoever. The Shammai school said that you can only divorce for sexual immorality. I got a quote for you from the school of Shammai, which said, a man may not divorce his wife unless he has found some inchastity in her. The school of Hillel said this. It said, he may divorce her even if she spoiled a dish for him. Hello, y'all out there? Are y'all listening to this? This was the two common schools of thought in Jesus' day. And you see the difference? It's a pretty significant difference. One says, you know what? Unfaithfulness, adultery. The other said, oops, she burned the toast. It's the craziest thing you've ever heard in all your life, isn't it? She burned the toast. She didn't fold my T-shirts right. Because you know, there's a godly way to fold T-shirts. Let me just say right now, don't look at me like that. You fold them and the, 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 uh, the pocket, the uh, something, whatever that is. Logo, emblem. Thank you. It's always right there on the front. You fold it so that's showing so you know what that is. Y'all with me? Jesus did it that way, I'm pretty sure. And so if a man got up in the morning, he said, who in what world woman folded my shirt like this? Now, which school do you think was the most popular in Jesus' day? That would have been the liberal school, right? So the Pharisees came to ask Jesus this really interesting question. Because they felt like if he said, well, you can divorce for any old reason. If you can divorce for any old reason, they can say, aha, then we're going to take you back to Deuteronomy 24. We got you. They also felt like that if at this time, with this particular culture, if he had said, no, it's only for sexual immorality, that he would have lost favor with the people. So they were trying to trap him, you see. And they're thinking to themselves, oh, we got you now. It took us from chapter 5 to chapter 19, but we got you now. So you ready for Jesus' answer? It's awesome. Matthew 19, verse 4, haven't you read the scriptures? I mean, really, you knuckleheads. So like you're the, you're the religious leaders of our day. You're the guys that's supposed to be studied up. Y'all supposed to know all the Old Testament. You're supposed to be able to walk us through it, right? Every single law and why we have the law. They record that from the beginning God made them male and female. In other words, here's what he's saying. You didn't read the first page of the book. You literally missed the first page. 
And if y'all read the first page of Genesis 1, it says God made male and female. He created them in his image. That's powerful. You've got to understand that or you're never going to get this whole idea of divorce and why God hates it. This explains why a, man, why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Watch this. Since they are no longer two, but what? Mm, don't, don't let that thought leave your head. No one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Many years ago, I remember when, actually, I guess when I was probably in seminary, maybe. I remember looking at this in the Greek text, and I remember my whole life, I had heard when Jesus said this, that what he was saying was, you better, you better not separate what God joined together. That's what I was taught. But if you look at the Greek construction, that's not what Jesus was saying. What he was saying was, in a very loving tone, not a mean tone, not a condemning tone, not a you better not kind of tone. What he was saying is, you can't separate what God joined together. You just can't. See, we think that marriage is a license and a honeymoon. But Jesus is saying that the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife, between a man and a woman, makes them one. And once your soul has been connected to another person through the sexual relationship, here's what he's saying. You can never, ever go back and make one, two again. You just can't. It's an axiomatic law of the universe. What God joins together through the sexual relationship, not a piece of paper, not a wedding ceremony. Go back to Genesis 1. Like, we don't have the ceremony where Adam and Eve finally got hitched. It ain't there. It messed with me a few years ago. You know, you don't even think about this stuff until suddenly you have that question. You go and you look and you go, what am I telling everybody now? You tell them that it's the sexual relationship that joins two people together as one. So contrary to popular belief, there is no such thing as casual sex. I know we're supposed to be like a modern church. I don't even know what the terminologies are anymore. There's some cool terms out there. I, I don't care what the terms are. We just try to be a church. Most people would think that you would not hear this, on this in this type of church on a Sunday morning, right? I just want to make sure that you understand there is no such thing as casual sex. When you come together with another person, two people just become one. And you can't break that bond. We want to focus on circumstances. I totally get that. That's where some of you are. That's why some of you have so much mm, stuff inside of you right now. The emotions are turning. That's why that's true. It's because we want to look at the circumstances. We want to say, but you don't understand. He or she, and you don't know what they did. And surely... That happened, if that happened, then God wouldn't want me to stay together with. And, and so we try to rationalize all of this. And Jesus says, you know what? I completely understand life happens. You're broken. Adam and Eve blew it for you in the garden. 
And when sin entered the world, you, you make mistakes. Things happen. People walk out. People don't keep their commitments to you. You fail in keeping your commitments with other people. I know that there's brokenness. Abuse will happen. But what I'm trying to tell you is not that I don't understand that. I do. But I'm telling you, what I'm trying to warn you is, is that once, once two people have become one, you just can't break that bond. You just can't. That's why sex before marriage is wrong. Because for every person that you've had sex with, you've become one with that person. The bedroom can be a very crowded place. Could you imagine? I'm not sure I should say this. I said it first service. I might as well say it to y'all. Y'all, y'all can handle it, can't you? Could you imagine what it would have been like if on your honeymoon, on that Sweet, sweet night. Could you imagine, ladies, could you imagine men, if you knew your partner had never seen somebody else naked? <laughs> Hello, are, are y'all deaf? I mean, could you hear me? <laughs> could you imagine what? You could strut out. Guys, we could. You could look at your wife and say, I'm the man. I've been in a few locker rooms. I'm just telling you, baby, I'm the man. How would she know? She never seen another man. How would she know? Ladies, you could do the same thing. You could say, I'm telling you what, I'm all that in a bag of chips. Other women wish they were me. On a scale from one to 10, I'm a 12. How would they know? Listen, that's what God intended. for the honeymoon to be like Christmas. That wasn't enough for these guys because they weren't concerned about truth. They didn't care about truth. What they wanted to do was trap him. So they wanted to work around loopholes, right? And that's what we do. If we've been hurt, we're, we're looking for a way out. And as pastors, as a church, and what we're trying to do is to help you negotiate that. As a pastor, I know what it feels like to look at somebody that I know, you should have got out. The man was going to kill you if you stayed in that marriage. But to also know that there's going to be pain that's involved. Listen to what they say. Matthew 19, verse 7, what then? Why then, they ask, did Moses command, you see that word? I underlined that in my notes. Did Moses command that a, that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses, watch this, that's what he said. Now, you know where I come up with my word. <clears throat> Y'all thought I was just brilliant. Okay, maybe not. That's where I got the word. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce. You're wise because your hearts were hard. And then the next word I underline is that last word in that next sentence. The beginning. So what's he doing? He's, he's taking them back to Genesis again. He said, you missed it. I'll tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned through my study of Deuteronomy and, and I really wanted to, I, I want to get this right. 
to the best of my ability because so many of you are just broken. In fact, if statistics are true, then over half of us, over half of us in this place right now have been affected in some way. Infected, affected, affected by divorce. Over 50%. And I think that those numbers are probably skewed today, and the only reason they're probably skewed is because there's a great number of people that are living together. The bottom line from the Deuteronomy passage is that men weren't taking care of their wives. And so they were divorcing them for any old reason they wanted to, right? You burnt the toast. You didn't fold my T-shirts right. You looked at me wrong this morning. You know what? There's another woman whose dad has and owns, and so I'm going to divorce you. I'm going to throw you away so that I can find another woman that will give me status and personal gain in the community. And that's what they were doing. And so the law of Moses permitted a letter of divorcement, listen, to protect the woman. What? If a woman, if a, if a man said, you're out, for any old reason at all, and he turned her out into the street, then people would look at her and say, you must have committed adultery. And in this particular culture, she would have been scorned. Nobody would have touched her. Her family would not have brought her in. But if she had this writ of divorcement, then she could say, it's not my fault. I never committed adultery. I burnt the toast. He found somebody better. He found somebody that would allow him to climb the corporate ladder of success, but it's not my fault. I didn't commit adultery. Then her family and friends could take her in. Jesus is saying, you're asking what is permitted, and you can't even get that right. But I'm talking about a principle. And the principle is you just can't, no matter how hard you try, you just can't make two out of one. And that's why divorce hurts so incredibly much. I didn't tell this story in the first service, but I'm going to share it with you. I remember... A few years ago, I've always dealt with some of the most extreme circumstances that you can imagine. And a lady came to see me with a broken leg. I knew her husband. He was a big man. I met him in the gym, had the opportunity to lead him to the Lord and baptize him, but he had a terrible temper. He broke her leg. I remember that she came to me as a young pastor, and, man, I was in agony. I thought, what do I do? God hates divorce, right? He, he hates divorce. I mean, what, what do I do? What do I tell her? <clears throat> so I prayed about it, and I didn't know all this then. I hadn't studied all this then. I didn't understand the meaning of Genesis 1 the way I do now. But what I did understand is I, God gets no glory out of you dying. Get out of that home. Run as fast as you can. She's sitting in front of me one day, and this is, I don't know, probably several weeks later, and she is just bawling. She looked at me and she said, you know what? I did the right thing. I did the right thing. I, I left him. If I hadn't left him, he would have killed me. She said, Scott, but help me understand this. Why is it then that I still feel, oh, 
all this loss. Because you're trying to be two again and you can't. There's a permanent bond that's been made with that person. And in spite of all the ugly circumstances, it still hurts. No matter how hard you try, you just can't make one, two. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus and you've gone through the heartbreak of divorce, here's what I want you to understand. Please hear me clearly. Because I believe this with every fiber of my being. Last week was a big day for me. It was a big day for me. I thought through, prayed through God. How do, how do we present some kind of illustration so that people will get it and understand? And to understand that the day that you accepted Jesus as your Savior, you still had the stain of sin, but you were clothed and you were wrapped in his righteousness. And just so you understand, that that covered all sin, not just some sin, not with the exception of divorce. I've even heard pastors get around that and say, well, but, and here's why. No, that's bull. You're forgiven. Maybe the kicker is, is that you've just never talked to God about it. Maybe you've been afraid to. Maybe you were like me. Maybe you grew up in that church and I committed the unpardonable sin. There is no forgiveness for me. That's a lie. And God didn't set you up for pain. He was trying to protect you. Do you understand what I'm saying? He tried to tell us in the beginning, listen, I got this beautiful thing for you. And we're going to take two people and through the beauty of this sexual relationship, you're going to become one. It's going to be awesome. But you can't make one, too. Maybe you're here as a follower of Jesus, and you know what? You're still carrying around shame that he never intended for you to carry. So maybe what you need to do right now, maybe it sounds crazy, but I'm crazy. Maybe you need to stop right now and just talk to him about it. And maybe in that process, say, God, I've been holding on to something that you didn't intend for me to hold on to. I've been bound, and, and you, the cross makes me free. I want to walk in that freedom. Go ahead, talk to him. Maybe for some of you this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, and you kind of get and understand the Jesus thing. You get the cross. Maybe you're deeper in your faith. I understand the beauty of the cross and what Jesus did on the cross. Maybe your problem is you can't forgive yourself. Let me ask you this question. Are you more righteous than God? Are you better than God? Do you want to discount what Jesus did for you on the cross? Then receive his forgiveness. He can't undo what's been done. He can bring healing if you'll let him. He loves you. He's crazy about you. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus. And maybe your thought is, Lord, have mercy, Scott, are you kidding me? Sexual sin and divorce is the least of my worries. 
I've got a whole list of sin. I'm a mess. I want you to know that God's crazy about you. Absolutely crazy about you. And He proved it. He went to the cross and on the cross He shed His blood. And He shed His blood for you because He knows that you can't be good enough. No matter how good you are, you'll miserably fail. And He said, I'm going to I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. I'm going to pay the penalty for your sin. And that's exactly what he did on the cross. All your sin. There is no sin that you have that he has not already paid the penalty for. On the third day he was raised from the dead. It's a neat thought. It's a sweet thought that he's willing to die for you. But where's the power in the relationship if he's not alive? And he is alive. Maybe you're here this morning you're not a follower of Jesus and you went, wow, I just had no idea. God has shown up this morning to speak to you in the craziest of all the services that maybe we've had. A day on divorce. And God shows up and He speaks to you, drawing you to Himself because of His great love for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus but you'd like to be, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. <clears throat> maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this. Lord Jesus, I'm a mess. An absolute teetotal mess. My life's full of sin. It's hard for me to believe that you would love me so much that you'd be willing to die for me, but that's what you did. That's what the Word says you did. And that you were raised on the third day that you're alive. So I'm just asking you, to forgive me of all my sin. I want you to be my Savior. From this day forward, I want to follow you wherever you go. Thank you for your love, the kind of love that I cannot comprehend. Father, I thank you for your word. It is powerful, Lord. It is confusing at times, God. It's confusing because we've made it complicated and we try to confuse it. Lord, I pray that for all the broken, hurting people that have been touched by divorce, is that this morning they can find some healing. Maybe understand it a little bit better. And through understanding it, understand you a whole lot more. Mend the brokenness, Lord. And for all of you do, we'll thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.